Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. He's conquered death on our behalf and now intercedes for us before the Holy God. He is our bloody champion. He is our hope and our true and lasting joy. Grab your Bibles with me this morning as we turn to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. We are enjoying as a church our study of the letter of Ephesians, the New Testament. Today we will continue our sermon series in chapter 2 as we focus on verse 14 through 18. Here at Disciples Church, we have a deep passion to know and to grow in God's Word. So my job this morning in preaching is to bring forth God's Word and not my own words. For it is God's Word that literally changes lives and produces growth and authentic worship. I pray that God's Word moves and and works in each of you just as God intends it today. With that, let's dig in. Last Sunday, I was honored to preach Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It is here that Paul turns his listeners, the region of Ephesus that he's writing to, to to remind them of the good news of Jesus Christ, substitutional death in the place of undeserving sinners. Most of Paul's audience are converted Gentiles, just like you and me. People once far off from the truths of God and the promises of God, but now they've been saved and brought into the family of God because of the blood of Christ on their behalf. Listen to verse 13 with me again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Praise God for the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Without it, we would have no hope, no salvation, and as we will see today, no peace or reconciliation. Look with me at what Paul says next as we move into our text today. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Acts 14 is an overarching statement of what Paul is about to say in the coming verses. It, It builds on what he just said in verse 13 by highlighting what the gospel has done for those who trust in Christ. That Christ's life, death, and resurrection is the means to true and lasting peace that Christ's life, death, and resurrection has made reconciliation among man. That Christ's life, death, and resurrection has made reconciliation between God's chosen people and God. Church, this is the gospel. It's the good news. Paul highlights here what Jesus accomplished in his flesh for us. He, speaking of Jesus, God the Son, took on flesh, the incarnation. And then he sacrificed himself, his flesh, in our place. This is the substitution. And the victory of the cross meant the dividing wall between us 
and each other and between us and God. It's torn down. This means no more pilgrimages to the temple. No more blood sacrifices are needed. Because Jesus fulfilled what was needed so that we could be reconciled to Him forever. Paul builds on this with what he says next in verse 15. Ephesians 2.15, By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jesus reconciles us to each other and to God by fulfilling all the old covenant law demanded. Specifically, all of the positive laws, the laws of ceremony and the judicial laws. These were types and shadows that God put in place in the old covenant to point towards and ultimately be fulfilled in Christ alone. Because Christ did the work. Completely. What we could not do in our sin and our flesh, He did it perfectly and under completion. This means the work, the covenant of works is fulfilled and now abolished. Paul is saying the old covenant, positive law is done away with and not necessary anymore because it is Christ's finished work on our behalf that puts us into a better covenant with God called the covenant of grace. The new covenant is a lasting covenant between God and His eternally chosen people. A people made up of ethnic Jews and Gentiles. A people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. The law of commandments that were expressed in ordinances is made obsolete because it's all pointing to the new covenant. A better covenant, which Christ has now put in place new ordinances that we, the church, the redeemed, practice in the new covenant to testify that we belong to it, to Him. These are believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. See, church, who, has, who is born under the law is Christ. He's born in the old covenant as a Jew, living fully human and yet without sin. See Him fulfilling what God demanded perfectly on our behalf. See that only because of Christ, life, death, and resurrection are we who are in Christ and therefore in the new covenant now able to be reconciled to God. Not only now in temporary means, but forever. This is not a small point for Paul as it speaks to everything mankind has been waiting for through the generations. God's plan to send a Redeemer to accomplish once and for all time all that was needed to reconcile His people to Himself and to each other. We know this is a major point of Paul, ordained by God in the New Testament writings, as we see it in many of his New Testament letters. For example, Romans chapter 6, verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Romans 7 verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Church, celebrate this good news with me. The old covenant law said, do this and live and be blessed with these temporary means. And, and, the, and the new covenant says, it's been done for you by Christ so that you can eternally live. Look at the next part of what Paul says this means for us who are in Christ the second part of verse 15, let me read the whole verse. Ephesians 2.15, By abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The temporary means of God's covenant with ethnic Israel has come to an end, and his new covenant, his eternal covenant of redemption is fulfilled in Christ, and therefore there is no separation among God's elect. So when Paul says, Christ creates in himself one new man in place of the two, he's speaking of the long-standing separation that has been between Jew and Gentile. But now, for all those in Christ, there is no more division. There is one church, one body, one redeemed people, that is made up of ethnic Jews and Gentiles. All who are saved by grace through faith in Christ are one in Christ. Paul so very clearly and famously says this to the church in Galatia when he writes in Galatians 3, 28-29, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Later in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul will say this, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The reference to the promise that we see in both of these scriptures is God's promise for a redeemer, for the redemption of his people, the covenant of redemption made before time, the elect of God who would trust in the Messiah and be saved. It's the promise God made to redeem for himself a people through the work of the Messiah on their behalf. For the Gentiles who believed into Christ for salvation, this means they're no longer outsiders, but they are brought near, and they now belong to God's eternal family. Do you at times feel like an outsider? 
feel, feel alone, feel without family. The gospel of Jesus brings you near into his eternal family. No matter what ethnic group, no matter what upbringing, no matter what has been done, Christ pays for our sin, past, present, future, and brings us into his eternal family. For all the non-Jews, all the Gentiles, this is good news. And for the Jews who believed into Christ for salvation, this means that they're no longer part of God's temporary covenant people, but his eternal covenant people. The Jewish believer in Christ now has lasting and eternal fellowship with God, not on the basis of circumcision, national identity, possession of the Torah, the law, making of sacrifices, or access to God through the tent or the temple, but because of Christ alone. We who are looking back, church, have to see the potency of this clarity. The the scaffolding of all of the old covenant regulations that had been up for generations have, have been dismantled, and now all they have and all they need is Christ. Both Jew and Gentile who trust in Christ alone are reconciled to each other and to God. They both have every spiritual blessing. They both are forgiven of every sin and counted as righteous in God's eyes because of Christ. Understand, the dividing wall that Paul mentions in verse 14 is not just a social thing, although that was a very potent reality. The social divisions were major. The hostility was thick, just as many divisions have been seen in our own recent history when it comes to generational racism or hatred towards people of another ethnic group or or social group. But here, the layers of the dividing wall are, are, are social, but also literal. We see it, how it played out in that day. Even in the temple of Jerusalem, had an outer court for the Gentiles and an inner court for the Jews. This dividing line was so serious that if a Gentile crossed the line into the inner court, it meant certain death for that person. But in the death of Christ and the victory of Christ's resurrection, the dividing wall and all the hostility and the separation that came from it are torn down. For those who trust in Christ now belong together as one in God's family. Oh, there's so many amazing layers of good news that we see here, church. I want you to see a new humanity A new creation. Scripture teaches that in Adam all die. But all who are in Christ live. We are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. So when Paul says that Christ abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, I want you to see that the new man is those who are born again. Those who are no longer in Adam. 
whether Jew or Gentile, but they are in Christ. And the things that once separated us in sin are now united in real peace. The peace of Christ. See with me the good news that this is to our modern society and all the the pains and and, and the ways that sin is at work in our modern society. The the hope of the world. The only way to truly correct ethnic prejudice. The only way to heal sinful judgment and war. The answer to sinful hierarchicalism and or sinful feminism is not political advancements. It's not liberal, social, systematic reform or flawed, man-made ideologies of wokeness. It is Christ. It is the Gospel. See the collapse of what once divided mankind by ethnicity or class or gender is the work of Christ to bring true and lasting reconciliation to men's dead and wicked hearts. Mankind was once enslaved to sin and selfishness. Those who are now in Christ have true unity and peace among all who were once divided. We who are the church, this is the hope we know and testify of. This is the good news of Jesus Christ that is changing lives today and all over the world in God's perfect time as the gospel is at work in and through us. Here again, Paul's words in Galatians 3.28 see that the answers our society are clamoring for are in Christ. For only in Christ is there neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. Let me ask you this morning, fellow Christian, Are you prideful about your ethnicity and therefore look down on others who might be different than you? Is there pride in you that causes you to have contempt for men or belittling of women? Is there self-righteousness in you whereby you look down on the rich or the poor in our society? If in Christ, if Christ reigns in you and you live to Christ, then these sinful judgments and divisions are put to death. This is a huge picture of the peace we have in Christ. And if you belong to Christ and have found a way to struggle in any of those ways, it just means you have put aside the gospel. You have, you have climbed back into the old man, into the flesh, in that application, in that line of thinking, in that area of life. We need the gospel in all of life. Christ, who is now our identity and our power in all of life, in every minute of life, until he takes us home. For Christ alone tears down the dividing wall of hostility.
if we're guilty of having sinful perspective, then it just means we don't have a gospel perspective of these things. We need resurrection. We need repentance in Christ so that we would walk in the newness of life that God has saved us to walk. The result of this will mean a game-changing testimony that impacts our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our culture, and the world with gospel reform and reconciliation. See with me that Paul is not only addressing the gospel's reversal of separation among mankind, but also our separation with God. In Christ, we have peace and unity with each other. This has been the focus of verse 14 and 15. And now in Christ, we have peace and unity with God. The focus of verse 16. Look at it with me. Ephesians 2.16 And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The word hostility here means enmity. Enmity is hatred, it's ill will, it's war, it's oppression, it's animosity towards another. James rebuked those who lived in their sin for their friendship with the world, the things of the flesh that meant real enmity with God. James 4, 4, he says poignantly, you adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Paul says in Romans 8, 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Does not submit to God's law. See that outside of Christ, we all were actively God-haters. In love with creation more than the Creator and the things of that fallen creation more than the righteous things of God. We were actively His enemies. Consider the faithfulness now of Jesus to die for us, not when we were wooing Him or doing anything that would merit His choosing us, for nothing we ever did in sin was unto the glory of God. No, instead, see that we wanted nothing to do with Him. All that we did was sin and pursued our flesh. It was in this state that Jesus died for us. This is the good news of amazing grace. That both Jew and Gentile sinners are reconciled to God. Verse 16, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility This is Paul's emphasis here and again in other places. For example, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And later in verse 10, Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. There is no greater reality than to be reconciled to God. The worst thing you could ever know 
is to be separated from God. This is the worst thing. Worse than any disease you might contract. Worse than any poverty you might come to know. Worse than relational betrayal. Worse than the death of a beloved family member. There is nothing worse than to be separated from that which is life, joy, love, and satisfaction. To be separated from God. This also means the opposite is true. There is nothing greater than to be reconciled and brought near to God. The fact that we are reconciled to God in Christ is the prize of all prizes. The reason why we sing and celebrate Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the fact that it means we get to forever enjoy life with God. Understand, the prize is not heaven. Heaven is not the primary prize. It's a secondary benefit. The framework by which we enjoy the prize. God Himself. The reason why this is good news The reason why it's so good is we get to know and enjoy God forever. (laughs) Skip down with me to verse 18 for a moment. And see this is also Paul's emphasis here. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. The access we have in Christ alone is to God the Father. Through God the Son, Jesus. By God the Holy Spirit. Church, this is truly good news. In Christ, we are reconciled to the holy and triune and eternal God. See that it has been God's plan from before time to adopt us in Christ And make us His redeemed kids. To enjoy Him and life in His family now and forevermore. Now look with me at verse 17, which is where I want to spend the remainder of our time together this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, it says, He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Jesus came to preach peace to the Gentiles who were far off and to the Jews who were near. But consider with me for a moment the kind of preacher that Jesus is. See, Jesus doesn't practice what He preaches. No, it's far better. Jesus is what He preaches. Perfect, complete, and holy in every way. And what did Jesus preach? He preached peace, reconciliation with God and each other. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 27, He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. First, when Jesus says the peace He is to us is not as the world gives. This is because the fallen world's idea of peace is short-sighted and so incomplete. 
We think peace is the absence of conflict or war. We think peace is emotional calmness. Understand, this is an outside-in, circumstances-working-out kind of momentary peace. Jesus is not saying He leaves us a world without war and chaos. He doesn't give us just these momentary blessings of peace that, that our flesh so longs for. No, what the peace He brings is far greater. He's saying, because of my life, death and resurrection I am shalom I am holistic peace that will impact every part of your life and relationships Jesus is saying I am peace see it's all too easy to slip into a hope for only what is a momentary peace and, and even in this moment, in this historic moment, this unprecedented moment we're living through in this year 2020, this worldwide pandemic from COVID-19, so many just want it done. They just want circumstantial peace and the temporary things to go back to normal. But we who are in Christ have a peace that is bigger than the moment. This is why in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the struggle, those who belong to Christ are truly at peace. I mean peace in the midst of real struggle, job loss, financial strain, stresses at home, people we love on the threat of being sick or even dying. But the peace we have is bigger than all of that. It's a peace we have in Christ, who is our identity, who is the reason why we live. It is for Him that we live. His kingdom, not these temporary things. Church, we must understand that on our own, left alone to our flesh, we will never know true peace. David says why in Psalm 38.18, I'm full of anxiety because of my sin. Man outside of Christ does not have the power not to stress, to not worry, because man is sinful. Because when I value the things that God created more than God, I am destined to be let down by those things, those things that are temporary. And when that stuff breaks down or betrays me or is taken from me, I stress. This is the source of mankind's anxiety. Understand, this is a lack of trusting in Christ alone that brings stress and worry. In what ways have you been caught up into stress and worry? It's It is most simply this, a lack of gospel truth upon that situation or thing that is causing you to live out of the flesh and not out of Christ. Remember, Christian, you can't have lasting and true peace 
because of your best efforts. You need Jesus. Notice Paul's words in verse 15. He himself is our peace. Peace is not a commodity that Jesus gives. See it further. See what's being said in Paul's words and in Christ's words. It is a reality that we experience when we are one with Him. To be peaceful with others or to experience peace in your life, you need Jesus Himself. You need to know Him and trust Him, belong to Him and love Him more than you love anything else. It means your grip is on Christ. Your reason for living is Christ. Your hope is Christ and nothing else. See it this way. To have your grip or your hope on anything else means you will stress. Why? Because that thing, that situation, that part of creation is not fireproof. It's not everlasting. When the storm rages, when the fire burns, they're swept away, they're burned up. This is why we stress. But Christ, church, walks on the water in the midst of the storm. And all who trust on Him, join Him there. See that Christ is peace. He Himself is our peace. As Paul has testified in verse 15, you can't have true and lasting peace if you don't have the Savior, Jesus Christ. Understand the entire gospel is a promise of true and lasting peace that is only found in Jesus. Let me show you. Jesus' life, the the announcement of the incarnation, of the birth of the Messiah, the angels proclaimed to the shepherds that day, Luke chapter 2, 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, among those with whom he is pleased. If you remain in your sin, apart from Christ, God is not pleased with you. You are rightly under condemnation, under his wrath. Only those in Christ, only his elect who are saved and set free, are the ones with whom God is pleased. You cannot merit this, you cannot earn it. You need the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus alone to be saved. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus came to bring true and lasting peace to his people. To those who would die to self and trust in him alone. That's Jesus' life. Jesus' death, we see this too. The Old Testament prophecy of the suffering servant most famously declares in Isaiah 53, 5, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Again, you must understand that you are powerless for peace by ourselves. Why are we powerless for peace? Because of sin. This is why we need a Savior. The sacrificial Savior who died on the cross in our place and who rose again from the grave 
as the firstborn, as we too will rise and reign with Him forever. This brings us to the third part of the Gospel proclamation and testimony, the resurrection of Jesus. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 20 and let's, let's be here for a moment and see the testimony and the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 20, picking up at verse 19. On the evening of that day, Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Saturday evening, day of Jesus' resurrection, the disciples were stashed out in a room behind locked doors, Things were tense in the wake of Jesus' death. They're hiding because they were scared to go outside and walk the streets because their their enemies, their adversaries, the, the, the Jewish elite had an agenda. Now that Jesus was out of the way, they, they targeted his faithful followers. They wanted to see the influence of Christ and his message purged from their from their town, from their providence so the Jewish religious agenda could thrive again. But all of a sudden, Jesus is there among them, in the room. Church, see with me, no no closed or locked door can keep out the conqueror of death, Jesus Christ. Think about that. You can try to hide. Maybe you've erected many walls in a lifetime in your sin, to which you think God is far away and will surely not ever get through your mess, your barriers, your unbelief, your sinful rebellion. Hear me. If Jesus wants in, there's no keeping him out. If he wants in your life, he will have it. For never has there been a person who has had their ears unstopped, their eyes opened, and then heard the gospel of Jesus Christ with true spiritual clarity and denied it. Praise God that He is the one in control of the new birth. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I am so thankful He's not held captive or at arm's length by the prison of walls that we erect over a lifetime because of our sin and effort to keep Him out. So there He stands among them. And what does Jesus say? Peace be with you. This is a potent declaration that has many layers of great application. First, consider the fact that many of his most faithful disciples ran and hid in the wake of his arrest and execution. They had forsaken him, abandoned him. Peter, one of his most faithful, most dear disciples, denied him. Denied knowing him. Not once. Not twice, but three times. With this in view, human logic would say that Jesus' first words to many of these who have utterly betrayed Him, turned their back on Him, would be, shame on you. Not peace be with you. But even though they chose to serve and protect themselves in Jesus' dark hour, a declaration of rebuke doesn't fit here. Why? Because He has forgiven them. 
Oh, how I long for you to know the forgiveness of God because of the perfect blood of the Son. For all of your sin. That Jesus' blood is big enough and full enough to wash away all of your sin so that you are forgiven. Church, He not only forgave them, He paid the debt they owed. Because they are forgiven and loved, Jesus comes to them with encouragement of peace. Have you got caught up lately in backsliding in sin, in in embracing temptation at your door? Confess this as sin and turn from it. And see the Lord's engagement to you with peace to trust in Him and walk with Him now and moving forward. What a testimony of the Gospel. What a power to transform lives when those deserving penalty will be thrown out. But these are forgiven with love and peace. Thank you, God, for the Gospel that we don't deserve. For the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, you are to be forever praised. Second, can you imagine the the feeling of completeness the disciples must have felt to be united to their Master again? The overwhelming purpose of their lives for the last three years has centered around Jesus. Since His arrest and death, they've been without their rock their leader, their rabbi, their Lord. And now all of a sudden, He's there among them. Surely His very presence was startling. But I'm sure it meant true peace for their fearful hearts and minds in that very moment. Hmm. May you know that peace in this very moment. And all that you're going through. You who have maybe walked with Jesus for many years. Your circumstances as of late have got you caught up in the storm. Caught up in finding your hope and your peace in the circumstances. Know the presence of the Lord. Lean into Him and be comforted by Him. Third, while peace be with you, instead of rebuke and disdain, is a great gift of grace. And while His physical presence must have been a sweet relief to be back together again, He's giving them something more here. I want you to hear this clearly today, because this is what we who belong to Christ have as well. Number one, peace with God. Romans 5.1, Since we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are justified by faith in Christ Jesus are no longer enemies of God because of our sin. We are His blood-bought children. Number two, we have inner peace True and holistic shalom. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, let us be a people who do not worry when faced with conflict or struggle or injustice. But we are people who pray. People who go to Him with thanks and are honest with Him with our request. And when we pray, when we go to our good God in prayer, we loosen our grip on our anxious worry because now we're trusting in Him who has all things in His grip. You will experience a peace beyond understanding, he says. What a gift. Inner shalom. It's only found in Christ. In our life with God. Number, the next one, number three, peace among the brethren. Many verses speak to this. I'll, I'll give us just a quick taste. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace church is there is there any way that that this is not true of of you of you and your brothers and sisters in Christ let's read the next verse Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace Church, are, are you living out the peace that you have in Christ and that you're making every effort with your brothers and sisters to live in peace? To say, hey, are we okay? How can we reconcile so that we're in unity for the sake of the body? The power of the gospel of Christ at work in you means true peace among each other. Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Church, may we be known as peacemakers. I love you, brother, sister, but slay your pride. And let's fight for peace because of who Christ is in us. Peace among the brethren. Number four, that we have eternal peace. Listen to Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 4. They saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the victory. This is our eternal peace. 
that awaits all who trust in Jesus Christ. This is truly good news. Church, hear Peter's words in the wake of the peace he came to know in the resurrected Christ. He says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Oh, I pray this is so in your life. Let me just ask you again, are you holding on to old hurts, wounds, and fears that have you locked up or pinned down? You will only have true peace in your life and in your soul if you know what the resurrected Christ has done on your behalf. And therefore, you have in Him, and only in Him, true and lasting peace forever. To close this morning, look at the next verse here in John chapter 20, verse 20. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine what it was like to see the resurrected Messiah standing there, especially for those who had seen Him killed? Who saw what they did to Him? Those who remembered what He looked like and what it sounded like? Amazing. Truly amazing. You and I must really slow down today to consider how absolutely amazing it was for them to see the resurrected Christ standing before them, living and healthy and full of all the holes of His enemies that they put there to murder Him. But then it says the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. This is the understatement of the century. I, I can't even fathom what it will be like the day I get to look at the resurrected Lord in the face and see Him in glory and reigning and present. To be in the physical presence of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the champion of death, the Lord of heaven and earth. The disciples were glad they saw the Lord. Yeah, they were. And we will too. I can't help but remember Jesus' words in chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. Hear this, verse 19 through 22, a little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. <laughs> this is true for us today, church. We will suffer in this life. There will be sorrow. But we are victorious in Him. He is living, and He reigns on high, he intercedes before us every day, church, and He's coming again to take us home. 
He says, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. This is our blessed assurance for all who trust in Christ Jesus alone. If you have not confessed your sins to the Holy God and trusted Jesus Christ's death and victory over death in your place, repent and believe today and be saved. Only in Christ can you be saved. Only the one who dies to self to live to Christ is saved. This is salvation. And we joyfully pick up our cross and serve Him the rest of our days. For there is nothing greater than to know the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only in Christ are our relationships to one another reconciled. Only in Christ is our relationship to God reconciled. Only in Christ will we ever know true and lasting peace. This is good news, church. I'm thankful for God's written word. I'm thankful for this time, the means of this way of correspondence through technology in this unique time. We have much to worship Him for. So no matter where you're at in the world watching this, let's stand together wherever you're at and let's hail the risen King with song and with our lives lived out for Him until He takes us home. Pray with me. Father God, we rejoice in the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a good God. Worthy to be praised, worthy to be served, worthy to be obeyed. And yet in our sin we have failed miserably. Every part of us, even the horizontal good we've aimed to do is not for your glory. In our sin we need Jesus. We need new birth. The power of Jesus to be at work in our lives. We thank you for the restoration and reconciliation that you've brought between us and each other between Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free. The unity we have in Christ is a beautiful, wonderful testimony. May we live it out. Thank you, Lord, for our reconciliation with you, the living God, that you would be praised and honored and glorified, that we would enjoy walking with you, talking with you, living for you and your glory all the days you give us. For anyone whom you might be saving this day, with saving faith, I praise you, Lord, for a new life in Christ. I long to hear their testimony of salvation, to rejoice with them in their baptism and proclamation of their new faith. Lord, for every brother and sister in Christ who's tuned into this, listening, singing, studying with us, may they be renewed this day. Let us put off our wallowing, our, our misery, our complaining. Let us rejoice because we're in Christ because of the blessed assurance we have in Him alone. And we worship You now. And each hour and day, You entrust to us for Your purposes from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.